yes, the cash flow is great. That's why I started with the strategy, then venture into different strategies as well. And on the investor side, if they're coming in as money partner, I'll let them know it's a midterm strategy because two to four years, then, then it's done. Then mm -hmm. we'll look for other strategies. And even for me, two to four years, it's for me, it, it was supposed to be my midterm strategy. My short-term strategy is private lending or more creative mortgages, et cetera. Because, you know, these are all usually short-term and high interest. Right. Midterm for me is lease option. Then long-term, I, I do have a few duplexes. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Hey, everybody. Sarah Larby here. You're listening to Where Should I Invest? And today's guest is Brooke Shang who started her journey in 2016 and uh, has even written a book. She's the author of Financial Freedom, The Royal Way, based on her experiences. Uh, and we talk a lot about the rent-to-own strategies, profit sharing, and much more. I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. But before we do, Dahlia, over to you. What do we need to know in the financing world? Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages. Today, I'd like to share something with you that I've been observing on the financing front for quite some time now, and is concerning, and is increasingly concerning in particular in this new environment that we're in. It is called the promissory notes. It's a financing tool that has increased in popularity over the past two to three years. Let me first explain what a promissory note is and why investors and lenders love it. But most importantly, what are some of the things they are not paying enough attention to that exposes them to high degrees of risk. And I've seen them result in catastrophic and devastating losses, including bankruptcies for real estate investors, as well as capital loss for Promissory note lenders. So what is a promissory note? As the words imply, a promissory note is a promise to pay. When a lender lends an investor or a borrower money, they set up a legally binding loan agreement that says that the borrower promises to repay to the lender a certain amount of money over a certain time frame. This document typically outlines the loan amount, the terms of the loan, and the repayment terms uh, and the costs associated with the arrangement. The agreement is enforceable in court in the case of a default or a disagreement, but you have to resolve it through the court system. For real estate investors, promissory notes is a fast source of funds to access and are less expensive to set up compared to private mortgages. When it comes to private mortgages, for example, agreements are lengthier, uh, lawyers are involved in both drafting the agreement, reviewing the agreement, and registering the loan. Therefore, it is more expensive to execute a mortgage agreement than a promissory note in Canada and generally in any jurisdiction. Also, investors tap into promissory notes sometimes to finance things they cannot typically finance through traditional financing or mortgage type of financing. For example, I've seen investors utilize promissory notes to finance renovations. 
For lenders, promissory notes come with higher returns. I've seen interest in the 18% and above range, plus lender fees. So as you can see, the returns are extremely lucrative. And while all of these things are great, risk for both the investors and the lenders are quite high in my view. And when risk is not managed properly, things can blow up. If you're planning on lending on promissory notes, here are the risks that you need to be aware of and some things for you to consider to do your due diligence. Number one, a promissory note is not secured. And even if it's registered against the title of the property owned by the borrower, it is not the same as a private mortgage. If the loan goes into default, you cannot just seize the property and just pull a power of sale. You have to go through the court system where in private mortgages, your loan is secured by the equity in the property. And in case of a default, a private mortgage is secured against that equity. So you can start a power of sale and the loan will get paid based on the private mortgage rank, whether it's in first position, second position or nth position and based on the available equity to pay that mortgage. Number two, some borrowers provide what's called a personal guarantee to the promissory note. Here's the thing, this personal guarantee is as good as the piece of paper it is written on. If you as a lender have not validated the personal net worth of the individual providing you with a personal guarantee, do not just ask for a personal guarantee, request a personal net worth statement. Not only that, validate the information provided on the personal net worth statement, like the banks do. You can ask for statements, you can do title searches, you have to validate what's written on the piece of paper. A personal guarantee is as good as the personal net worth. Number three, and here is something that lenders in this space may not be aware of. Something called the Limitations Act 2002 in Ontario. This act affects a note's enforceability in court. And because of the Limitations Act, a borrower has no obligation to repay a loan under a promissory note in Ontario after a certain amount of time has passed. A lender has two years to collect repayment or commence legal action for repayment after the maturity date or of the loan or after the date where the lender demanded repayment. So after two years, the agreement is unenforceable. Number four, and lastly, the risk of a promissory note is not capped, while the risk of a private mortgage is capped, and if, especially if that mortgage is structured correctly. For real estate investors who are using promissory notes, I get why you would use this type of money. I am an investor myself, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with finding sources of capital to grow your real estate empire. All I'm asking you to pay a close attention to, especially right now, is risk management. At any point in time, how much of this money are you taking? If you're running your business using very expensive money and a lot of it at any point in time, be mindful of the potential harm of high and expensive leverage. 
especially in this real estate environment that we're in where values are shifting and mortgage qualification for traditional mortgages is becoming tougher. Sadly, I have seen entire investment portfolios collapse due to the excessive use of this type of money. So please be careful. Whether you're a lender or an investor, risk management is foundational to success, to growth, and to peace of mind. At Streetwise Mortgages, we are big on risk management and protecting your best interest, whether you are borrowing money or you're lending money. Tap into our lending expertise for a second opinion or to navigate the current challenging environment or find solutions for issues that you're experiencing right now as of the changing environment or to unlock your money possibilities. Email us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Awesome. Dahlia, thank you so much. That was insightful. And guys, if you are interested in more cash flow, more control, uh, think about the midterm rental strategy. It is something that I've started converting a lot of my properties to, especially the ones that would be rent controlled. So if you want to know more information about that, uh, we have a course, a program that is available online, sarahlarby.com. On that note, enjoy the podcast. Brooke, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Sarah? Good. I'm excited to have you on. I mean, we were we were talking and I'm like, oh, we gotta we gotta hit record because you're telling me about all the cool stuff that you're working on. Uh, but before happening. we get into that, let's uh, let's just talk about you and how you got started in real estate investing. And uh, if you want to share your portfolio, what that looks like, that'd be great. Oh, okay, great. I started actually not too too long ago. September always marks the day I started taking the courses, getting educated. So that's 2016. Pretty much to the date, I started learning about real estate investing. I started because I actually stayed at home for 10 years, basically with zero stream of income because I was staying home with my kids. The reason I started is because we had one rental property. That doesn't even count. I didn't think so because that was our home. Okay. And since we moved out of the condo, we moved to where we are today. Naturally, we either sell it or rent it out. We decided to rent it out. And uh, whatever HELOC we had, we just used that to invest in real estate or education. Mm -hmm. So that's basically how I started. Okay, very cool. So you, you started essentially by renting your, your primary residence and moving into another one. And then what, ha like what happened for you to say, okay, officially you're now a real estate investor uh, and you're going to be applying properties? Um. I think the main reason is because, like I said, we didn't even seriously think about investing. However, just because we had the HELOC, we were able to do a few things or at least see the equity yeah. in the property we owned. So I thought if I seriously learned about it, I'm pretty sure we can do much better than, than where we were back then. Mm -hmm. And we basically didn't save much, even though my husband was working and yeah. I actually just started working at that point. And I was paying a lot of tax, like everybody, and put in RSP. Besides that, basically, we didn't have any savings. And I didn't think we were doing badly because we didn't splurge on anything. That's just lifestyle with two yeah. kids. So I thought, you know, I was already 40. We got to do something if we really want to start investing and accumulate wealth. That's awesome. So, I mean, today you're telling me you're selling a few things. You're also building a house. Like what, what does your portfolio look like today? And, and what's the main strategy? The main strategy, I started with rental lease option. The reason I'm selling now is because 
like I mentioned, I started investing then. So I accumulated a few rental or lease option um, deals since then. And they're maturing. So I'm starting to um, end those lease option deals. And successfully, the tenants are going to own these properties. I'm excited about that. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm selling quite a few of those properties right now. And also, we're building our own home. So it's good. The timing is good because we're going to use that to build our future home, which is like two blocks from where I am right now. Not that far. <laughs> awesome. So so you're in Toronto. I'm in Toronto. Uh, and where are your rent-to-owns? Are they all over Ontario? Are they in a specific area all over Canada? Um, Everywhere, actually. I started in Ontario. So everywhere, starting from going east, Oshawa, actually, the first one was in Toronto. I don't think Toronto works anymore, just because of the property price, et cetera. Um, in Toronto, Oshawa, Kingston, I'm just thinking about the map, Barrie, Midland, London. Um, yeah, so basically, so everywhere. Bit of everywhere. <laughs> What's talk? Yes, recently, all my recent three um, lease options are actually in Alberta. Okay. Just because it seems to make sense. And I, I mentioned to you earlier, yes, I did have to deal with a few tenant issues, not the RTOs, not the rentals or lease options, the duplexes. However, during the time there are lease option tenants, they're still renting and they're still a lease. So that's why I want to venture out to different provinces and different markets where the strategy makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Ontario, we're, we're handcuffed, right? With all the LTV rules as well and all that, that stuff. So um, <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other story. And actually, ironically, I just finished a podcast with my paralegal um, before this and, and there's lots of changes. Uh, usually not good for landlords. Uh, exactly. Yeah. But you know what? I'm So I'm curious because like your rent to own. Uh, so it's not a strategy I do, but it's a strategy that can work for many people. And I know that it's structured very differently depending on if, you know, it's, it's JAG properties, for example, I know how they structure it, but there's not like, there's not a one way necessarily to do it, but I, I'd, I'd be curious to know how your structure works. Like, are you holding the mortgage? Are you bringing an investor to hold the mortgage, piecing it together, taking a cut? Like walk us through that. Mm -hmm. I started with joint venture with all my lease options or rentals until recently. The only one actually, sorry. Two, we only, we're only on title for two of them. Because when I started, we, we couldn't be on title for every single one of them. Let's just be realistic. So I started with joint venture. And I mentioned to you, we're building our own home right now. So when I started, I wanted to keep our mortgage ability mm -hmm. until we find a home. That's basically very strategic, even with all the things I did. And um, when I started investing, my two goals. One is to make sure real estate investing actually works. The second goal is to upgrade our home because, you know, in Toronto, the homes are old and small. Location is fantastic. However, originally this home was built in and uh, the insides are all upgraded. However, back then, all the were in a semi-detached. All the semi-detached are pretty small. So for a family of four, we were always looking. Yeah. And it's crazy. Because everybody wants to be in GTA. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in, in Bloor West back in the day. And, yeah. you know, I, I miss being able to just walk everywhere, right? It's not the same as, as if you're in the suburbs. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. 
Hey, are you looking for a reliable contractor for your next Burr multifamily conversion or flip project? Somebody who understands how to work with investors and also real estate investing itself. I've personally partnered with Lee Polak from Wise Construction. We're actively doing many projects together in Hamilton and Wellen, so things like smaller three and four unit conversions and also some larger buildings where we're converting some large empty commercial spaces into residential units. And it's always been important to meet a partner and hire a contractor who does not only high quality work, but is on time and on budget. And it's also a huge bonus that they have their own in-house trades, employees and a warehouse full of building materials so that they can avoid the many labor and material shortages that we hear about often these days. A good project done on time, on budget and with high quality work will be key to the success of your Burr multifamily conversion or flip projects. So to connect with Lee from Wise Construction, text or phone him at 416-525-5951. Again, that is 416-525-5951. And now back to the show. Okay. So, so going back to your structure though, so you're doing it with a JV. Mm -hmm. uh, are you bringing in that JV then to hold the financing and bring the money? And then you are essentially, um, you know, doing a 50-50 split. You're doing a 50-50 yeah. split on the equity. Let's just say they hold, was it three years or five years that you hold for? I have those, um, I have rentals from two to two to four years, nothing more than five years okay. so far. And uh, we could be very creative. I yeah. started with 50-50 JVs. Okay. And there are also a few deals where 40-60. Um, there are also deals where we have somebody who came in with the cash and somebody who's holding the mortgage. So I hold the 50 and somebody else will hold the other 50. Mm -hmm. I've also structured where they're, I'm holding, um, I have 40%. And somebody has the 10 as the mortgage qualifier, then there's somebody who actually came in with the initial investment. So yes, it can be really creative. Mm -hmm. There's also one lease option where some well, me myself, I just I just hold a mortgage. Cause okay. I did I didn't have the funds available at the time. And somebody else brought the money in. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So there's there's lots of ways. So it's not like you've got like one set way to split it. It just depends on the situation and, uh, you know, the deal and, and all that good stuff. What's so usually just for people to understand, you know, people at home listening to this or in their car or wherever they are. Yeah. Usually your tenant buyer is also a tenant and they're also a future buyer. So there's two contracts, correct? Correct. That's right. There's the yes. list contract and then there's the options contract. Where can somebody go if they wanted to do that? Like, is it a lawyer that would help them draft it up? Like, how do they get access to, I mean, obviously this one's a standard lease, but the other one's a, an options contract. Where can they get that? I do have the lawyer drafted already. So it's pretty standard by now. I don't have to go to the lawyer every single time because the terms are pretty standard. Yeah. I know what to look out for and, you know, to make sure the tenant knows that they can go to the lawyer too. So they sign off saying, yes, I, I did look through it. I was given the opportunity to seek legal advice, et cetera. So that's, that part is pretty much set. Um, I don't have to do that differently every single time. A standard lease option is usually 50-50. It, it depends. So the situation I mentioned, it, it could get creative. Yeah. If a 50-50 doesn't work. And, yeah. So that, but the tenant, yeah. the tenant themselves, right? Like they're essentially signing like an Ontario lease as a tenant and then they're signing that contract, correct? 
Um, right. And then they're also what bringing a little bit of deposit into the deal. Like what, what do you guys, because like, I, I know I'm just thinking of other companies out there that do rent to own. They require like maybe three or 5% as a down payment from the, the uh, future tenant buyer, as an example, like how are you guys structuring that? Um, I can get really creative with that as well. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. We don't call it deposit just because they don't have equity in it yet. So I usually just, just to make sure they understand they have the option to purchase and the, the money they put in will convert to deposit or down payment once they, they are qualified and decided to exercise the option. So usually I would do, because their properties, well, not anymore, or not, at least not in Ontario as low as $150,000, $160,000. So sometimes, usually it's at least 2%. However, sometimes 2% of, uh, to me, this is all business decisions, right? So in some cases where the property value is low, if I only take 2%, I think that's too low because the lawyer fee and et cetera, that's a fixed cost. Mm -hmm. So I say at least $10,000, the very least. Um, I think the, the lowest I've accepted is probably 15,000 just because of the initial cost. And at the same time, if the property is more expensive than at least two, three, 5%, like the regular cases. However, if the tenant buyer has some issues, they have to save up more Then I would recommend. They, they come in with more initial option as well. Cause if they're only there three to five years, for example, if they only put in a little bit of initial option and they have to save up to say two to four thousand dollars, that's too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that also depends. Okay. So you've got that, you hold on to them in two to four years, you essentially have the tenant buyer buy the property and then you split that profit. So, you know, you pay back whatever the initial investment was from a cash standpoint, and then you you split the profits, whatever the percentage that you have is, right? Yeah. 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 So that's basically how I structure it. Okay. Now, how do you go about, because I mean, that's awesome. I mean, it's, it's a great strategy and it's a great strategy for, for, I think, higher cash flow. You, you, you know, you may not get the mortgage paid on appreciation over the years, but you know, there's, there's a great cash flow at play there. Um, yeah. What about, you know, just like even finding your, your joint venture partners, like how do you go about that? If someone's listening to this and says, Hey, I want to start this strategy this is great. Like walk us through that. So somebody can, can maybe take some action items. Yeah. It really depends on, on the project, depending on if they want to come in to, to be investors like me looking for deals, or if they're, they want to do want to make it an active investment for themselves for joint venture partners. If they just want to be the money partner, we're going to talk about what's the return you want to get. Right. And I'll give them a basic idea of why the cash flow is better. So you mentioned, yes, the cash flow is great. That's why I started with the strategy, then venture into different strategies as well. And on the investor side, if they're coming in as money partner, I'll let them know it's a midterm strategy because two to four years, then, then it's done. Then mm -hmm. we'll look for other strategies. And even for me, two to four years, it's for me, what's supposed to be my midterm strategy? My short-term strategy is private lending or more creative mortgages, et cetera, because, you know, these are usually short-term and high interest. Right. The term for me is lease option. Then long-term, I, I do have a few duplexes. However, I'm starting to uh, change my portfolio a little bit. And then there's a apartment or multi-unit. Those are my long-term strategies. 
So for investors coming in, I let them know this is the kind of strategy um, you would be considering if you want a really good cash flow and only midterm investments. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I look at it. So really, it depends on if the joint venture is looking for something like that. I honestly think in some cases, it doesn't make sense to joint venture because if the cash flow is really low, then also how how long do you do you want a joint venture to be? It's funny somebody just asked, asked me that question. I usually think joint venture is not supposed to be long term either. It's usually when you renew the mortgage because yes, you're married during that time frame, and then even when in some cases, then you decide what you want to do at the end of the joint venture. It's usually when the mortgage is going to be renewed. So say, for example, five years, then you buy each other out or you continue. I mean, that's a good point, right? So like, especially right now with the rates going up, like, have you gone fixed on these these products? Because for us, like when we're burring, we we go very well just because we have to refinance. But in your case, are you just doing like a two or four year fixed term so that the payments stay the same? Or did you go variable on them? So far, I've gone variable for all my investments, okay. even include the duplexes or the bird projects, just because investors are always flexible. Mm-hmm. I mentioned I had the duplexes thinking I'm going to hold them long term. However, those, a lot of them ended up shorter than my rent owns. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. This is brought to you by usproperties.ca. Are you looking to invest in turnkey U.S. real estate that provides exceptional cash flow and appreciation? If so, reach out to James at james at usproperties.ca or visit the company website usproperties.ca for more information. So here's my other question then, because now that the rates are going up, I mean, it depends on which lender you've got, of course, but likely your rates have gone up. So then are you going back to the tenant buyer? Because you can't do it with a regular tenant. But you're going back to the tenant buyer for their options contract and increasing that amount so that your cash flow is still the same for that investor. What's your play there? So far, I think there's only one or two I've informed the tenant that the cost has gone up, not just interest. There are even cases where the property tax has gone up. And I told the tenant buyer that we have to increase the rent more than the allowable 2% or 2.5% for next year, et cetera. So some of them, I haven't changed it. Just because we're still cash flowing, we're still cash flow pretty well. Um, and at the same time, we just because we also have the option every month. So, so far, so good. There are one or two guests, not just the interest and also other expenses. If it has gone up, um, I did inform the tenant, hey, let's work together because okay. we bought this house for you. Yeah. yeah, of course. And I mean, you don't want to be out you know all the cash flow just because the rates have gone up a few times and again they'll probably come down at some point but they're they're probably going to go up a couple more times before they come down um (laughs) so okay so that's a fun strategy now you're you're so you're doing your lease options and i want to go back to i think you said something that's really interesting is the fact that you've got short medium or mid uh and then long-term you know investments and strategies and they all go into that bucket and i and i think that that is how people how everybody needs to think of you know investing nowadays because everything's changing and I don't think there is such a thing as like stick to one market stick to one strategy and do that forever it's it's also about pivoting so I think it's smart that you've got you know your your money lending in bucket one which is, which is the short term thing because you could do really well on that again different different levels of risk along the way and then you've got your your rent to owns or your lease op- lease options for your midterm and then your longer term burrs and and essentially holds so it gets you a little bit of like you know, not only 
cash flow quicker cash flow in some cases it also gives you that long-term equity growth which is essentially how you become wealthy over time exactly yeah so i think investors should look at real estate investing as the same thing you invest in anything else even if you go to the bank they will ask you short-term long-term what's your risk um, tolerance a lot of the times people want to stick to one market and one strategy and no matter how the market turns, they want to hold on to that. Really, it doesn't really work. Not just because of the market, also your personal goals. If you all of a sudden need the money to deal with health issues, for example. Um, you actually brought, brought up a, a, a good um, point. Because I, I was thinking if... I, I'm almost 50, so I've met a few people. I will, I will say, I mean, everyone's list, probably listening to this, but you don't look 50. That's actually shocking. I was going to, like, say, like, mid-30s. Yay! I love you, Sarah, for saying that. <laughs> no, but I, like, I, if, if I don't know, you, you, we'll, we'll share your Instagram after, but, like, literally, I thought you were mid-30s. So, great job, whatever you're I doing, know. like, with your, like, skincare is awesome. <laughs> yeah, and the funny thing is I've seen people starting to have issues high blood pressure, et cetera. Hmm. So actually their friends saying, you know, at this point in my life, I've had one heart attack or some issue that came up, gout or something else. Hmm. No, I'm only looking at any investment less than four years, three years. So I was thinking that too. Once I'm 50, probably I'll change my portfolio. I'm probably gonna only investing in projects that are four years, five years. Hmm. And my long-term holds will continue to be there and pay down the mortgage. Or if my, my kid is going to university pretty soon, so one big expense and then might be somebody else's financial goal as well. So yes, things change. That's my point. Strategies change. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's speak of a strategy change. You're building, you're doing a new build. Um, why, why a new build? And, and, you know, what are some things that you're like implementing in the design? I mean, you, you have some real estate experience now, or they're like, you've probably seen a million houses <laughs> over the years, especially with the rental mm -hmm. stuff. They're probably nicer than just the regular, you know, units and whatnot. Um, are you doing anything like different with the build? Well, oh my gosh, for sure. Even, um, apartment buildings or, I know you're in, in that er, in that um, strategy as well. So Burr, et cetera, those are very different from we're building our own home. Mm -hmm. And after building our own home, that it is from ground up. So we have to tear down the house, all the permits. At first, I stay away from infill projects because of the expenses and the cost of building, et cetera. And yes, the permits, oh, that took forever because we're in Toronto. And yeah, how, how long did it actually take? Can you share? It took one year to get all the permits. Okay. So you're just sitting on the property. Yeah. Um, I don't look at that asset investment. However, that's a motivation to to accumulate more wealth through investing. Because yeah. you're thinking about this is the debt I'm servicing. How many more of certain deals I have to do to service more debt? That's mm -hmm. just an example. However, after this intro project, I have an amazing team. My architect, all my engineers, solar engineers, structure engineers, etc are working diligently with us. And yes, I, I know the cost of building is going up. We had no delay so far because my team is on the ball of everything has to lined up. So yes, sometimes we have to say, for example, come up with a deposit to secure the materials sooner. We, we know there's gonna be, say for example, a six week um, wait time. 
then we put that in already. And um, the open term, say, for example, in the past is open term 30 days for a certain material. Now we're putting a deposit to secure it. So everything will be according to plan. So far, not on wood. So we started building only in, I would say, June. Okay. Um, yeah. So a lot of things ha has been done during this time. So I'm good to say I'm willing to do another infill project by now. While you're doing, say, a rental apartment, everything has to be clean. You're not doing anything that's designer great. Like, like you know that because mm -hmm. things are going to be hard to replace and parts are going to be hard to find. So you're looking for something that's easy to find at Home Depot et your plumber will right? Something that's going to stand the, the test and of time and time. Yes. And cost effective. Of course. Yeah. So, so what are some designs that you're implementing for your house? Like, what do you do? Are you doing any cool upgrades? Are you like doing anything different with the kitchen? Oh my God. It is exciting. Um, I haven't had a chance to talk to a designer yet. Okay. So that, that's our next thing. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, but things like you can think about things had to be easily accessible. Just little things like that. We don't have a lot of room to actually go with what we want just because of the land in Toronto. They're very strict yeah. as to how right. big your house can be. So within that box, we're doing whatever we can. Yeah, so okay. we're pretty practical. Um, we we like we just have one or two well factors. Other than that, everything is pretty much easy to fix and clean and you know that's our style that's our style pretty neutral as well nice nice awesome well that's exciting that's exciting i'll uh, i'll wait for my invitation to check it out once it's done <laughs> but it's invited we're gonna have a backyard party i think even before i finish everything inside we will invite people over because it we will be the summer anyways next year perfect around yeah. the end <laughs> that's yes. how i invite myself <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I yeah, know it's, it's, awesome. it's awesome. Yeah. Um, okay, awesome. So the next part of the podcast, Brooke, is the lightning round. I'm going to ask you five questions. You can give me the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? Yes, I am. All right, here we go. Today's lightning round has been brought to you by midtermrentalproperties.ca. It is a new way to rent, make more cash flow, take back control over our investments and our portfolios using a different creative strategy and pivoting. So if you want to find out more, go to midtermrentalproperties.ca. Question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book? Um, Rich Dad Poor Dad. I know that's very typical. However, every time I, I go back to it, I still find points that, um, you know, that's refreshing. Can I mention my own book too? That's also of fun. Course, of course, of course. Yeah. So financial freedom, the royal way. Just one step up. Once you have that mindset, where where do you get started? Amazing. Where can people find that book? It's on Amazon. So if you just type in my name, it'll pop up. All right. Very cool. Number two, non-real estate specifically. I don't know if you listen to podcasts, but do you have a favorite non-real estate podcast? Impact Theory by Tom Bilyeu. All right. Number three, what do you do for fun? I travel a lot, so that's what I love to do the most, and hanging out with friends. Amazing, amazing. And then question number four, if you lost everything tomorrow, all your real estate, your assets, your money, how would you start again? I will do exactly the same thing and build it from ground up again. Okay, and last question, if somebody has $50,000, and I started this in 2017, $50,000 was a lot more money, but if they have $50,000 still today, it's still a good chunk, how would you recommend they spend it? 
I would say start investing in your education and learn how to do this first. Amazing. All right, Brooke, thank you so much. Where can my listeners reach out and find out more? If you just type in my name, Brooke Sharing, at any social media, there's only one me. Oh, okay, cool. Very cool. And yeah. lastly, in like, you know, just a 30,000 foot view, why should somebody want to read your book? What are there going to be some like key nuggets they're going to get out of it? Mm-hmm. It's not just about investing a lot of it as mindset. Mm-hmm. So I usually start people up from how I actually start at investing, learn about it, set up the mindset, and then start to look at different strategies. Set your goals, then find the strategy that works for you. Find the market that the strategy works, then find the property. And then my book basically starts with mindset, then strategy. Then you can decide which market you go into. I love it. I love that. So thank you so much. And, and congratulations on writing a book because that is not easy. It takes a lot of time. So, you know, I'm just curious, how long did it take you to write it? Exactly a year. It's actually not as hard as people think. Yes, it's a lot of work. It's like real estate. It's, it's the process is easy. You just have to do it. Amazing. Well, congratulations. And, uh, you know, folks at home listening to this, uh, check out her book on Amazon. And uh, thank you so much, Brooke, for being, for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you on. Thank you, Sarah. It was nice chatting with you. All right. And I'll wait for my invite for next summer. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.